0: I'm here with Sasha Rothschild. Sasha, how are you doing?
1: I'm doing very well, Bill. How are you doing?
0: I'm doing good. This is interesting because uh, Sasha, I actually, I don't know what the equivalent on Twitter is. I cold called you. Yeah. Like, what would it be? I, I slid into your DMs.
1: Yeah. He, he, you DMed. You DMed me.
0: So the reason I DMed uh, Sasha is because she is currently a writer on Glow. Correct. Which not only is it like a hit show, but it's one of those annoying hit shows where Everyone I know who's cool watches it. And it has this kind of cool factor. I never get on the shows with a cool factor. I get on like Criminal Minds and shit like that or Bones that no one no one in America, no one cool watches. But, but you're like, making
1: a lot of money because they air yeah. all day long in the Although middle of the night.
0: That's changed, which you might know about too.
1: I do. I know. But I would like to say I have seen every single episode of Bones – all 12 seasons i am a huge bones fan really? and i am cool so oh you need to rethink
0: we've got people coming in shot yeah yeah no by the way i've never been on bones that was just it's oh
1: it, see i was gonna say what episode were you on i will remember you but, let me but you, you haven't bones. even been on bones
0: i have i have been on sex in the city which brings that you were also a writer on the carry
1: i was yes
0: but uh I, that, listen, listen. We're getting off track. Let's get back to let's get back to the bonafides, and let's get back to like who you are. So, first okay. of all, I, I, I knew you writer in Glow. Glow is obviously a great show; it's a huge hit. Um, and you've done a lot of other things. Yes. And uh, I was, I followed you on Twitter. I don't know how. I think it was probably one of the things. Usually, I follow people on Twitter because somebody I'm following retweets someone else, and I go, "Oh!" And then I go down the rabbit hole of the timeline. And right. I go, "This person's funny." So I said, "Okay, this this woman's very funny." I looked at your bona fides, and I was like, Hi. hey, no, of course, of course. Hey, how are you guys doing? You must be Bill, yeah. I'm Bill. Good to see you guys. And this is Come. Sasha, and this is Tom.
1: Hello. Yeah, enter I, enter I, your I, home. I, I
0: warned that, th- I, I warned <laughs> that this was going to happen. Um, how's it been? It's been, it's been a nice – was parade to, no, parade to the Parade? the Parade's Sunday. The Parade is on Sunday. That's correct. But it's yeah. basically like it's already happening. It's happening.
1: Right? It's happening out there. Uh,
0: You went to Universal? Yeah, We had to go see <laughs> oh, Harry Potter. Oh, is that Star Wars isn't there? No, no, no that's, that's Disney. Disney yeah, so. How was Harry
1: Potter? <laughs> that's cool. Gryffindor Ravenclaw. Yeah, Gryffindor. Here. Yeah. <laughs> a- I'm I'm Slytherin.
0: <laughs>
1: yeah. You know.
0: But you're a ginger like a Weasley.
1: I'm not evil, I just have ambition. I like that. Yeah. Yeah.
0: Yeah. (laughs) Okay. Twitter. That was was one of the the best segues we've had. (laughs) So we we may cut that out. We may not. We may Uh, keep it. You never know.
1: I'm proud. I'm proud. Proud to be. be, Is
0: that where you really want to sit, Tommy? Slytherin. Um, Okay. So, um, and then we got the helicopters. It's all beautiful. So, so I slid, I slid. Now, so sliding to people's DMs probably right away sets off like bells, right? Yeah. Like this guy's creeping on me. Yeah. One of the things I've I've heard a lot in L.A. is that guys say, "Hey, we should collab." They say <laughs> they don't say collaborate. They say, "Hey, we should collab on something," which is the new Netflix and chill or something. Hey, you want to collab? So I know full well sliding into uh, a, a woman's DM that that it's going to look like I'm creeping. So I want to hear about the process of you getting a creepy DM from a stranger. About doing a podcast, to you agreeing to do it because that's interesting to me.
1: Uh, all right, so I get well. So I noticed you follow followed me. I don't know a couple years ago, actually. Oh, really? And I only noticed because you were a redhead. Because otherwise, I would not have noticed. And I think in your bio it says ginger. Actually, so I was like, oh, this guy's a redhead. Oh, he's a comedian. Or all right, I'll follow him back. Kind of because of your hair. It's yeah. very. It's just completely. Then. Um, I didn't pay attention to you. And then you DM would me and I was like, what's up with this guy? Like, what's his situation? What's he up to? And I'm, married and I'm not into the, you know, the meeting people on the things and online and things. And then I, uh, looked into your podcast and saw that one of my very best friends, Chris Martin had done your podcast. So I text Chris Martin late at night and I'm like, what's the deal with Bill Dawes? Is he like a good guy? Does he really want me to do his podcast or is he like trying to, what, what's his, and then Chris and his wife, Hannah were like, oh my God, he's awesome. He's great. Totally trustworthy. You can absolutely show up in his yard and be 100% safe. And that was why I'm here.
0: Oh, very cool. So, Chris Martin, if people didn't, he is a comic who I met in New Zealand for the New Zealand Comedy Festival. And he moved here with his lovely wife, Hannah, who's Scottish. And uh, he's one of the nicest guys I've ever met in my life. Such a nice guy. And a very, very funny guy. Yeah. Check out the Chris Martin episode. The Chris Martin. We were kind of like the odd couple in New Zealand because he's also clean as a comic. Yes. His material yeah. is very G-rated. Wholesome. And I, for the love of God, I just <laughs> cannot make myself G-rated. I don't even know if I can – I can barely squeak out PG-13 on a good day. So um, – but we got along. Usually when the clean comics, I feel like they look down on me and like, oh, you're just a blue. But he's just a nice guy. And we, we were like uh, – you know, we were joined at the hip for those times. So anyway, uh, I love him. I miss him. So we'll, we'll get back to that. And so, he,
1: he vetted you. So –
0: that's, and it's funny because I feel that women always need – I feel like guys need to be vetted for to have any interaction with a woman nowadays, almost.
1: I think that's true not even nowadays. I think it's just kind of the reality of if some random person reaches out to you, if you don't want what the random person might want, yes. you need to vet that random person.
0: Yes, of course, of course. It's always – oh, man. it. I can't tell you, Mouse. I want to talk to you about that as well, because you've been in Hollywood for how long? Um, since
1: 1998. So what is that? Wow. That's 21 20 y- years. Y- years. That's 21 years. I moved out here in May of 98.
0: So let's get, so let's get to your story. You were um, in before that. I'm imagining before L.A., where are you? You're in New York.
1: I'm in Miami. I you're grew up Miami. in my I grew up on South Beach. Um wow. Which was bananas. And, you were, and you're
0: in your Jew, correct? I'm a
1: Jew. Well, yeah. Robert, You're Jewish. I know. I, I actually listened to your Zara interview. Uh your Zara podcast and it was yeah. fun. Did you uh, yeah, am I I am a Jewish. I'm an atheist Jew.
0: Atheist Jew, which yeah. is basically a Jew. I'm a
1: Jew. Yeah. Um
0: so South Beach, I mentioned is that a heavy Jewish population in South
1: Beach? Uh South Beach is heavily yeah, a lot of Jewish families in Miami Beach. Uh, the, the cool thing about Miami Beach is, and I, I could be wrong about saying this as a, as a whole, but I think it's one of the only cities in America that is all minorities because it's Jewish, gay, black, Puerto Rican. and latino. Yeah. Not a lot of Puerto Ricans. Really? Interestingly, Miami? it's a lot of Cuban? um Cuban, uh, a lot of Colombian, Dominican, um I guess there are some Puerto Ricans, but I feel like New York has a yes. bigger Puerto Rican. Absolutely. Um and Haitian and there are very few like white Christian people in Miami Beach. Interesting. And um so it's sort of this city filled with minorities all making things fabulous and fun
0: so I want to ask you about Miami Beach because I've been to South Beach a lot to party yeah and uh, everyone there is really beautiful yeah I feel like their priorities are completely wrong Uh, (laughs) there's lots of coke
1: lot lot of coke
0: yep lots of drinking lots of uh, lots of fun times Um, a lot of people who can tan
1: I'm not one of them
0: so but I'm so as a writer and as someone who is entering a business that is basically just substance and you can't tan how did miami how did miami beach sort of galvanize your talent as a writer is it something that was despite that you lived there or did it help you
1: um i think it helped me because i um well one i don't look like i fit in in miami i couldn't be in a bikini on the beach. I have already had some skin cancer. I'm like incredibly sun sensitive. So I decided to go super goth because at least I would have like a look That's about hilarious. myself. So, so at you know, what age you were like? I started to get really into vampires when I was like 10, 11. And then uh, was at goth club starting at age 12 and had custom made fangs and only <laughs> would write about vampires and um really leaned in. Mm-hmm. And so I was a total weirdo outcast pretty much my whole childhood and um, had a few close friends, but really was always like the person that was bullied and the person that was not, I was never like the cool person. And um, I would come home and, tell stories about school to my parents and my father's a journalist and uh, my parents would say, you know, you have to write this down or you have, that's such a good story. And I think because I was so shunned growing up in this crazy city, but there was so much adventure to be had. If you look around like the obvious, um, I had a lot of material
0: to write about. And did you, were you a journaler? Were you I was a journaler.
1: That? I started keeping a diary from the time I was like seven, and I have all of them.
0: You have all of them? All
1: of my diaries stacked up in a closet, um, and it's all written down. you go down. back and read
0: them every once in a while? Well,
1: so a friend of mine, uh, I'm going to plug someone else's show yeah, now. Dave Nadelberg started this show called Mortified, um, where people get on stage and they read from their yeah, diaries. I've heard about that, of course. So he had this idea when I was... Hanging out with him and another friend, who's a who's a comedian, this guy Matt Harowitz, and uh, Dave had found this old letter he had written to a girl when he was sixteen. He never gave it to her, and he read it out loud. And Matt and I were dying laughing, and it was it was truly mortifying. Yeah. And Dave was like, this is, "This is a show." So I have all my old diaries. So I started going through them, and I started I did the first very first mortified show um, about I think it's like 15 years ago. We rented the, okay. the little room next to the Improv, which is now the lab. The lab, but but 15. Years ago, it was like this little black box. Okay. We rented it and we got on stage and read from our diaries. And um, some of my diaries have become sort of infamous because NPR picked up one of my segments on This American Life, reading from my 13 year old diary when I do coke for the first time and I lose my virginity on a lifeguard stand and I'm like, like partying in Miami and I'm having the best time and I'm 13. Oh. Um, and so That kind of actually being on This American Life helped get me a job writing articles for LA Weekly. So my diaries really helped my writing career.
0: Wow, that's really amazing because I'm sure there are a lot of people out there who have diaries and they don't know, and they're they're writer. There are lots of I mean, I think a lot of people listening to this podcast are people who are interested in entertainment but aren't necessarily taking the jump into it. Yeah, and they may at some point, or they may be serious. I always I'm always curious about the writer journey because it's different than the performer journey I think
1: it is yeah I think it's a very different you're you're it's very solitary you don't necessarily have out you don't have immediate outside response you can instant gratification instant gratification um I felt from a very young age that if I didn't write it down it didn't exist yeah and somehow writing stuff down made me feel like I existed in the world um And so I've always had, I needed to write it down. It was sort of a compulsion that turned into a love that turned into a career.
0: That's amazing. And did you know at a young age you wanted to be a writer or you were just writing things down?
1: I knew from a pretty young age that it was really something interesting to me. I would watch my father sit in his office for hours on end just like, typing away and then like six months later there'd be a book or an article or in a magazine and there was something so glamorous about that even though there is nothing less glamorous than yeah. sitting home alone in your sweatpants writing.
0: And he probably had like but an old Smith Corona typewriter. He had an
1: old, I mean he had a really old typewriter and then I remember his first like computer um, and he had this box of dot matrix paper with like the holes oh, yeah, on yeah, either yeah. side in the printer that would, um, and I just knew this was I wanted to write words and then have people read the words yeah and then um, I got into when I got into college um, where do you go to college I went to Boston College okay which because I didn't get into Yale I thought I would it was like the first lesson in my life of being 17 and realizing you can really try hard and still completely fail. <laughs> um, so BC was my safety school. It's a good school, mm-hmm. but I didn't realize it was Catholic. I didn't realize oh, wow. it was so conservative. I didn't even look into it. It was just like my safety school that yeah. I would never go to because I was going to <laughs> Yale. Um, but I got into this um, sketch comedy group as one will do. As one will do in to college meet to, or meet to meet people guys. and just to meet. Just to oh, the guys at BC were the worst. Um, but. In this sketch comedy group, it was so clear to me within a few months that I loved writing the sketches and having other people perform them much more than me performing them. I'm not a great performer. I feel way less inhibited. I can write anything, but I'm not – it's just not where –
0: yeah, but you like, have performed. It just wasn't perform- really natural. It's to you. not
1: natural. I'm not great at it. And it was so empowering to he- hear really gifted performers say my words and then an audience laugh at my words. And yeah. I was like, oh my God, I'm like God. Yeah. Like it felt like I was God yeah. in that little so way. Do you,
0: do you ever feel that when you're writing stuff, and I always think about this with writers too, you have an image of a person? I mean, everyone that you're writing is some sort of extrapolation of someone you know in real life, usually, right? And you write the thing and a casting director producer puts someone else in it and you're like, that person's not the thing in my head. And either they change your mind about the role or you just go, yeah, they fucked up. I mean, m- both of them must have happened at some point, right?
1: Um, I think I've been lucky in that usually when someone is cast that I don't originally – picture they actually bring something to it that's so much more different and another layer than i was seeing and i i so i've had really good experiences yeah in terms of of collaborating with the performer rather than oh fuck that person um so i try and i haven't had a disaster actually yes,
0: that's good and you're in i want to get back up a little bit so you're in boston college You're in the – you're just – you're writing sketches for these people. Writing
1: sketches. And
0: at this point, you're pretty much like, yeah, this is what I'm going to do. I'm a writer in some capacity. Yeah. But in your head, was it TV or film or did you – plays?
1: So I majored in theater with a concentration in playwriting. And my thought was I maybe will go to New York after I graduate and write plays Mm -hmm. and be freezing and poor. It's fun. Believe me, I've done it. (laughs) Or I'll come to L.A., try and write for TV And be warm with the hope of one day being rich. Yes. So uh, I was so cold for four years in Boston. Like truly. Oh, yeah. um, My first winter in Boston by October – Cause again, I grew up in Miami. I was wearing a full ski mask to <laughs> walk to class and people thought I was such a freak. And once again, I was surrounded by people that completely thought I was a freak and was a total outcast. Um, I would wear my ski mask and then a pro choice hat and like was totally the villain of what Boston college. What
0: is a pro choice hat? It just says pro choice? It,
1: it, it has a female, it was a female sign. And then yeah, it said choice. Okay. Just I maybe choice. It was like a
0: baby with X through it. And I was like, that might be No, not no. Um,
1: no one's anti-baby; okay, they're pro-choice. Okay. okay Come on, that. Bill. Don't cause that. trouble. I know.
0: I, I can't help it. One of my favorite jokes I say is like I'm, I talk about how I'm liberal, but you know, like I believe in a woman's right to choose, as long as it's the right choice, um, and that's abortion. But, and then it's all about traffic on four hundred five. <laughs> anyway, uh, so I know it's terrible, right? It's great when you do like these really like I do a lot of like Republican towns like Reno, and they're on my side, and they do like a pro like a pro, not a pro choice like a pro abortion joke, <laughs> and they're just like what, did what, you what, say? what do you and say? They move on to the next yeah. End, like, move on, move on. Anyway, um, so your major was theater playwriting. Yes, which is probably, as you know, probably one of the most useless degrees you could probably get oh, in the world.
1: I felt like it was very as helpful. Who
0: has an acting degree.
1: Well, but I learned a lot about. Okay. I actually learned, um, it was, it's a really good theater department there. And, uh, I learned how to write dialogue. I learned how to write a scene. I learned, um, I learned, and I felt like in high school, like I knew how to write and my father taught me a lot about writing, but I really, uh, up my game in college in a yeah. way that I was like, Oh, and then I think after I graduated and moved to LA to just, you know, start doing it, um, there's all these, you know, sort of classes you could pay for and workshops you can do and that stuff my what my fa- my advice the advice my father gave me was look writers write you yeah. now have the education you don't need any of that other crap if you're going to be a writer you're going to sit down every day and you're going to write some stuff and you're going to waitress or whatever but if you keep needing school it's like an excuse to not do the work that makes sense and right? i took that in and just wrote
0: yeah now when you're writing your journals that's a different part of your brain than maybe writing a fictional scene with with dialogue and different characters like that. Uh, do you feel, obviously the bread and butter for you is screenwriting and now dialogue and stuff like that. You also write memoirs though, right? You Do what, Do you feel like yeah. it's a different part of your brain? Because for example, as comics, there are a lot of comics who do stand-up and improv, but usually it's never the twain she'll meet. Usually it's rare that a comic does a stand-up and improv. And I wonder if like writing memoirs and writing about yourself is very different from writing for other people in dialogue?
1: Um, It is different. I find that if I can can find something real in every fictional character I write, whether it's something that I feel or a friend has felt or something I've witnessed with then a fictional twist to it, if it starts at a real place, I think it's so much better. Um, The characters are better. The story is better. And so I usually somehow go back to the realness of like the memoir writing, or I write a lot of personal essays. I had a, a wrote a really brutal essay about um, my father for Elle magazine in January that was it was not funny at all, which was one of the first times I've written something that's what was um, that?
0: Can we, can we talk about that? Is that we, a little too deep?
1: Um, we can talk about that. It's not, yeah, we can what talk
0: was, about it was because you said brutal article about your father.
1: So, uh, my father. Has Alzheimer's, which is uh, really sad for all the usual reasons. Um, But we discovered last year because um, he literally forgot to lie that he sort of lived a double life his whole life. Ooh. And he and my mother have been together for like 50 years and there were secrets and affairs and a whole bunch another of fucked family? up shit, not another family. Okay. Um, and as far as I know, no other children, but just a life of hypocrisy and lies. And, um, uncovered? he started talking about it to my mother because he, his brain betrayed him wow. and all the secrets that he had kept his brain forgot to keep. Secrets
0: for 50 years. Yeah.
1: And, uh, and then it kind of spun out from there and my sister and I, um, and my brother sort of uncovered some more stuff and so the whole sort of relationship I thought I had with him and the whole person I thought he was, he's not, and just really, like, had to reframe my whole childhood and interestingly because he's really the person who taught me how to write. Yeah. And, um, he he is somebody who told me like the best writing is like the real stuff and you have to go there whether it's even even in fiction like you have to g- get to the heart of yeah i think that's why glow is actually so good is cuz there's real emotion in it but um he taught me that and then I ended up writing about him in that way. So it's kind of a crazy...
0: Is he able to read it? He's not.
1: No. no. He's, so you
0: felt... So that must give you a certain comfort knowing that he's not going to yeah. know about this. He's
1: right. He's beyond the... That's like the of,
0: anti-notebook movie. Yes,
1: it is. It's the anti-notebook. It's the fucked up side of Alzheimer's that no one's talking about, but I'm starting to talk about.
0: Do you feel that that's something – Do you, when something that happens, do you go, this is a movie or this is a series or this is a
1: – Yeah, I do think there is something here and I'm definitely – and I'm developing it with um, a production company now. And it's sort of in the works is something to to deal with, to tackle. And it, and it will be – dark but it also will have humor because it yeah. has to or else it's yeah
0: i think that alzheimer's is one of the things that has not really I, there was like what was like, there was a great movie that this woman just made about people what they give us or the oh,
1: God, oh, about the man and the woman in the home and the.
0: it's the, a female writer director and i think it was at sundance and how They what they see or how they yeah, love
1: this I know exactly what you're talking about. I have not seen, I've stayed away from a lot of Alzheimer's movies the past few years just because it was too much for yeah. me to like dive into someone else's story about it of when course. I was like living my own. But I know what you're talking about.
0: Um, so I want to get back to, I want to get back to the crowd. By the way, I know that you had brothers and sisters, you have a brother, sister, and sister.
1: I have a brother and a sister
0: because I always feel that a lot of people in entertainment they're usually the youngest or they're an only child.
1: I'm the youngest, you're the youngest, yeah.
0: So you're the baby, I'm
1: the baby. Were you daddy's girl? I they think so. My brother and sister certainly think so. Yeah. I thought that I could do no right, even when I could do right. Like yeah. I always felt like I could if you know, if I sort of like had all A's and an A minus, he'd say, what happened there with that <laughs> a minus? Um so i I was very much fueled by his wanting his approval.
0: yeah. And are your brother and sister in the business?
1: Uh, no, my brother lives in Seattle and has a very interesting life, doing all sorts of interesting jobs, from being a garlic farmer to a chef to uh, teaching jujitsu. Um, there we go. Yeah, he's. Uh,
0: that sounds like there's weed, and he has he smokes weed. He
1: he does not uh, he does not do the do the drugs. Oh, really? At the moment, yeah. He's, wow, he's I always find
0: when people have like fascinating and, lives and they change careers. Yeah. I'm like... Drugs had to be a factor, but clean,
1: clean and sober.
0: Okay, I do jujitsu too. Yeah. There's my little gi hanging. Oh
1: yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, and my sister is in New York, and she's in. Um, she works in a- uh, advertising.
0: Okay, so after you graduate with your playwriting degree, you don't do the New York thing. Good call. Yeah. But have you written a play?
1: I wrote a play senior year of college, and um, it was then. <laughs> produced at Boston College the next year. Oh, wow. And the girl they cast to play the me in the play, the play was about me and my best friend, Mike, and this big fight we had. And again, it was like taken from a real thing that happened to me, but then I blew it up and fictionalized it. The girl that was cast to play me was my nemesis. In, oh God, that's so funny. In, and I was so furious I was like what the fuck You're fucking casting her to play me I fucking hate this girl um, And she was amazing <laughs> I went back the next year And that's one of those times Where I had to like let I had to realize Maybe we maybe we hate each other Because we're just because similar kind of simi- enough exactly. And she was great um, So yes I had written a play I came to LA One way plane ticket
0: One way plane ticket One way plane with, ticket like, I had $40 in my pocket <laughs> Did you have? Did you have a job lined up?
1: No, I had nothing. I had a little more than forty dollars. Guy that uh, you house So you knew. my friend Allison, who was a sophomore at BC, and I became friends with her. She grew up in LA and when I moved out here, I lived with her parents for the first two months to okay. like get myself organized. Sure. And my first job was, um, waiting, cocktail waitressing at Q's Billiards in Brentwood.
0: Which is what your dad's advice was. Which is, yeah. Get the job. Get
1: the job. And, and was that, it,
0: was it a cocktail waitressing at Q's? Is have that you a, been is to Q's? Oh uh,
1: yeah. It's pool hall. It's a really douchey pool hall in Brentwood. So it's like
0: a fancy pool hall. It's not like sawdust.
1: No, yeah, it's fancy. It's fancy. It's like I don't know who go. It was a bunch of like, um, like college guys from uh, UCLA UCLA. would go and play pool and who
0: were like, hey, we're rich but we're playing pool. Yeah,
1: but yeah, drinks were pricey. One of my jobs every night was like at one fifty-five a.m. I had to play. It's closing time. That's (laughs) like every night, and I I hated that song. Yeah, yeah.
0: was this a job that you felt like, "Hey, this is what you need to do," or you're like, "I'm slowly dying inside doing this unless I get saved"?
1: I it? wasn't slowly dying yet. I actually had a lot of fun cocktailing because I'm pretty extroverted and I got to meet people and I got to be on my feet. And um, then through a series of events, I ended up being Craig Kilborn's assistant when he moved from the Late Late sh- from the Daily Show She's to the late to, oh, the late to the Late Late Show. Okay uh yeah how does that happen so i had a general meeting at universal um human resources and then a few months later while i'm working at q's i get a call that kilborn is moving in taking over for tom ferguson no not tom snyder Snyder, was way back then yes um And needed an assistant and the line producer was interviewing people. So I went in and I I interviewed with her and I got through that interview. And then I interviewed with Craig and uh, I was like so excited because he's famous and um, and I remember after the interview, I said to him, I have, f-, he used to do these five questions on the Daily Show. That was like the end bit where he'd do, it doesn't right. matter. He
0: was, he was the guy. He was he the original was the Daily, Daily Show. Daily Show yes.
1: He was the original Daily Show host. Yeah, that's right. So his whole bit was five questions at the end of every interview. So at the end of his interviewing me, I said to him, Craig, I have five questions for you. And he thought that was just delightful. So I ended that's up right. actually getting a job. Um, I didn't, I ended up. Being the executive producer's assistant and not his assistant. But I worked closely in Late Night for a solid year.
0: Did you get the chance to write in those situations? No.
1: It was clear to me that there was not one woman writer in that writer's room. I was not even – it was so far-fetched for me to even think that I would be writing jokes on the Late Late Show. Like it was – it was – yeah, that was, I, I quickly learned that that was not – this was not going to be a place where I was going to move up the ranks. Interesting. And also, I was not a joke writer. I knew that although I had one joke that I wrote and they did air, Craig said, the joke. What was it? It was uh, Ben & Jerry's had come out with a new flavor ice cream and the setup was Ben & Jerry's New Flavor of Ice Cream um, called – oh, fuck. Uh, what was the punchline? Your line? first joke, you don't I know, remember. I know, I know. But it was corn and chocolate. Heinous anus. That's heinous what the, anus. He called heinous anus with corn and chocolate. I like that. Chocolate with That's corn. Good. Chocolate ice cream with corn. Heinous anus. That was the, yeah.
0: Time is going to steal that later.
1: You can have my heinous anus. That was, <laughs> uh, that was my first, yeah, that was my first televised. That must
0: have felt great. It was
1: really exciting. But of course,
0: they, they'd pay you for the joke. No, they didn't pay, they'd pay me for
1: the joke. Out. But. He would put me on the show a lot and make fun of me like, oh, oh, have the assistant come out um and I so I was often on the show that year and because it was an after show, I got paid like a, like a lot I got paid like five hundred and forty dollars every time I said like a word on TV yeah. or whatever it was but over four you cannot, words your headset, or set
0: like. Hey, Craig. Yeah. Sorry about that.
1: They did bits where there was a whole bit where he would read from his diary and it was the Dear Diary segment. He would do it every Friday. And I was the voice in his head because I sound like I'm 12. So the joke was (laughs) that in his head, he's reading his diary. He sounds like a 12 year old girl. So Mm -hmm. things like that where I ended up um, it was great because I ended up making a lot more than just an assistant because I was getting. But after a year, I realized I'm not writing. I've been in L.A. a year. I've learned a lot here, but this is not a place I'm going to move up. And I quit um, because I needed to start writing more. And so then I got a job cocktailing at the improv. Okay. And that was where I worked for years. And it was.
0: That's amazing. Also, it just, it, it takes a lot of courage and belief in yourself to quit a regular job, a salary job that you're making decent money at to say, because I want to write, I'm going to weigh tables at the improv.
1: Yeah. It, it. Yeah, but I felt like well, my alternative was to be in some be be in a job I wasn't really going to get me to where course, I wanted to go. And I know, but it is. It's a scary thing to know that you come to LA. It could take a long time. But if you're going to make it doing the thing you want to do, you've got to have the time to do it.
0: Yeah, and your parents and were supportive of you this whole time. Very supportive. Big, yeah, yeah,
1: totally supportive. They're like they were supportive, but also, um, you know, you're a grown up now and pay for your own dentist. You know, <laughs> yeah, but yeah. they were. Uh, they were very supportive of my, like, c- creative career path.
0: Now, I don't want to go too off topic with this, but you were a cocktail waitress at the Improv. What comic did you have an affair with? Go. Because every waitress had an affair <laughs> with at least one comic. Every server.
1: Uh, my guy has left the comedy business. Ritz, you can name him. And is...
0: Uh... <laughs> Bill Cosby.
1: I'm kidding. No. Who? Uh
0: you don't have to say.
1: I words, can't okay. say his name, but I did. It, I wouldn't call it an affair because I was single and he was single. Well, so, you know like I mean. a dallion. So we had a we had a thing. He um, he uh, yeah.
0: I will just say this: I um have not dated any wait uh, servers. God, I keep saying, I keep correcting myself. I have a daughter who's incredibly PC, and she's always um, she's always every time I say something that's not on the.
1: What are like, you? What are we supposed to say now? Wait, server. A server. You can't say waitress.
0: Apparently not. Oh, okay. I, no, I didn't somehow, know that. it feels like server would be a much more offensive term. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like they're trying to get rid of the word owner for for uh, people who own basketball teams or own football oh. teams because obviously the right. the plantation the metaphor is there. Yeah. Um. Anyway, so uh, I I was I I hooked I was dated. What's what? Okay. Thank you, T. Thank you, buddy.
1: Nice to meet you.
0: She's great, right?
1: Yeah.
0: She's so much she's so much better than you said she was gonna be.
1: I'm why why eye. did you say those lies about me?
0: <laughs> Alright, have fun. You're gonna do a mic, Tommy? Yep. Alright, have fun. Do you need some more caffeine? No,
1: I'm okay. Take an okay. Orange, orange. Do you one. want do
0: you want a joint? Okay. Okay. <laughs> anyway, those are the most expensive ones. Don't take both you, motherfucker. <laughs> Okay, we're going to edit this part out. Probably not. But anyway, we can edit it. Okay. <laughs> just talking about marijuana, I already forgot what we were talking about.
1: Uh, uh so ha- dating dating a oh, cocktail and, waitress and, and, and at and a, I dated a comedy one
0: club. Cocktail waitress, and Jay Leno wrote about this in his autobiography. As a comic, if you're able to pull or hook up with a waitress, it's the biggest validation yeah, because they see everybody. They see every comic. So if they hook up with you, you must be doing something good. You must be funny.
1: You're funny. You must be. Yeah. No, he definitely he he got a lot of points for that. And he told everybody. Oh, he did? Yeah. Yeah. He was very excited to tell everybody. And actually I ended up (laughs) (laughs) there was a bartender also there that I ended up with And the way I sort of started talking to this bartender was, I asked him, "The comic's first name is Rick." I said, "Is what Rick is saying about me does it make you want to sleep with me less or more?"
0: That's hilarious. Because I
1: wanted to know, like, is he saying, like, "Oh, she's awesome," and it was, or she, he's Mm -hmm. saying, like, "I wanted to know." And that was my first sort of real conversation with this bartender that I ended up with for a very long time.
0: Oh, then you were like, okay, so it must be good feedback. Yeah, it's good. Good. Good Good feedback. Um, so now as you're as you're doing this, do you start hitting the writing with the uh, you know the feet running on the ground and you're writing just spec scripts?
1: I'm writing spec scripts. I got an agent pretty quickly, and I By thought the way, just,
0: just for the dumb not the dumb people the people who are uh, a spec script is basically. Uh, explain what a spec script is for people. So,
1: a specs so specs mean two different things for so a movie spec script means you write a script for yourself without getting paid by a studio and then you go and you try and sell that script to a studio. That's a movie spec. A lot of movies are written on spec versus pitching it, getting paid by the studio to write it. A spec TV script is something that's sort of dead now, but it used to be you would come to LA and you would write a version of an episode of a show that's popular To get read, to try and get a job to show you can mimic the voice. So, like, I wrote, because it was 20 years ago, I wrote a Drew Carey, Mm -hmm. a Just Shoot Me, a South Park, and then I wrote my own original pilot. And so, you had to submit spec scripts to show you could mimic someone's voice, and then it was good to have an original pilot to show that you have your own voice. Yes. And then, hopefully, an agent will sign you and then try and get you staffed. Yeah. Um, so I started with those, I got an agent quickly. I thought, Oh my God, I've made it. Um, that was in 1999. And what my agent said to me then, which is incredible. She's a woman at a small agency, but reputable. She said, um, never suck a guy's dick for a job, but maybe let him think you might. And that was the advice in 99. Like don't do it, but it's not the worst idea to kind of... And I just cannot believe how far like we've come since then, since that advice, when I was 22 years old. Um, uh, so
0: you're saying that no longer applies.
1: I would say... I'm half say serious, I'm half joking. I, would, but I think that right in this moment, it no longer applies, actually. I think in this moment in time, in Hollywood, it really doesn't apply.
0: Because I had a friend who um, was looking to... Do some stuff in the business out here, and she, you know I feel I feel I want to name the pe- the men so bad, but I can't. Fuck anyway. And these managers, uh, big managers, and at huge, like the biggest. Um, you're amazing. Blah 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 blah, and they just, and I and I told her I said they're gonna try to fuck you, and they're like no, blah 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 has a great reputation. Blah 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 is the head of blah blah blah. Like, I've known this person for. Yeah, but they're going to try to vacuum. Sure enough, hey, let's meet up. Let's go to they go. I want to have to go to. Let's go to dinner. Okay, dinner's already like a little bit like
1: right. Nice creepier hey, than Meeting my yard at night. Right. But, um, yeah, nothing's creepier than this.
0: <laughs> but uh, went to Catano and they get there and the the server says or the hostess says, "Oh, Mister, oh, God, I won't say his name so bad." We have your corner table. And it's like the corner, like way like the seats are catty corner. They're really close to each other with a little candle in the middle. His regular table where he turns out he takes these young actresses who want to make it in, in Hollywood. This was a m- like a month ago. So I feel that and of course he didn't touch her or do anything appropriate or say, if you do this, I'll right. do this. Um, but he definitely brought up the Me Too stuff and he brought up the fact that, uh, wow, you know, you're so beautiful. I can't re- – I don't know if I can say that. You know, he kind of like did the weird – Right, mm-hmm, skirted around it. the – And the other – the manager said something like – "I said, oh, I want to like, you know, I want to date you and I, th- I think you're – whatever. So it's not like you can't – it's not like it's not happening but I feel like it's happening in a different format maybe. Um and I have had women very recently talk about this guy wants to do my series. He wants to produce my thing, so I'm going to let him think he can fuck me. I heard that
1: a week ago. Okay. So
0: these are people who are not your level, obviously. So well, I, do-
1: I mean, I don't. Also, I've worked with mostly women the past few years. Really? Yeah. So I guess I'm not surrounded as much by that.
0: So how did that? How did that? Um, what is your experience being a woman as a writer? I, I want to get a little bit more of the chronology. Your your first big break was doing your diary at that podcast, and that led to the LA Weekly column. Was it a weekly
1: yes, column? Uh, it was not a weekly column. They they um, just actually had me write two articles for them. I I went in and pitched two articles. One was um, about a one night stand I had with a ninja who I met on one of my sister's commercial sets. A real ninja. He was a ninja. He was playing a ninja in this commercial. He is a stuntman. He was in full ninja garb. He was so beautiful and lithe and like jumping off walls with swords. I mean, he was a ninja. Yeah. And um, everyone on set was like, oh, my God, this man is beautiful. And and after the shoot – and my sister was shooting. She lives in New York, but she shoots in L.A. a lot. I was just like hanging out because, you know – And after the shoot, he came up to me and he started talking to me and he asked what I was doing like, like now. And I was like, uh, nothing. And he's like, do you want to have dinner? And I'm like, Oh my God. Oh my God. The ninja like picked me. me. And I text my sister frantically from the car. Like I'm having dinner with a ninja. See you later. Oh my God. Oh my God. Um, it was like, it was like a movie scene and I have dinner with him and it's the most extraordinary dinner. And like. I my phone rang, and I had the Night Rider soundtrack on my phone ring um, and he's like I love Night Rider and I'm like Oh my God me too this, and like we're everything. And, everything and I'm I'm like I'm gonna marry this man and I'm so in love I'll like be Miss Ninja. I, he was really like so smooth yeah so smooth and so that was our first date we have a second date and uh, we go play pool even though I don't play pool it seems like one of those things you do on a second date you you know yeah. whatever and then. I bring him back to my apartment and we have sex and yeah. it's incredible. And I'm like, ninja Oh my sex, God, this guy, ninja level. sex, whole different level. And I'm like, this, this man is like the best man I've ever met. And then he says, Hey, I can't stay over cause my grandma's coming over in the morning and I got to help. Her. And I'm like, Oh, how sweet. Never heard from him again. He wow. totally played me. And the thing is, is like, I'm not a naive person. I've dated around. I'm not an idiot. I grew up on South Beach, which is like sex all over the place. Sure. This guy was good. Like, he, he was good. so smooth. He and was a ninja. He was a ninja. And poof, like that, he disappeared like he a ninja. He did ghost
0: you. He ninja you. He
1: ninja me. So I pitched that as a sort of a dating, like an article to uh, LA Weekly. And they loved it. And I wrote that. And then I wrote another article for them, which ended up launching my whole career, sort of, which was uh, an article called How to Get Divorced by 30. Okay, um, yeah. And so that was after, though, 10 years in L.A. of waitressing, having random jobs. I was briefly the girl in the box at the Standard Hotel. Um, I don't know if that, you've seen oh, that Oh, I remember thing. the box at the Standard I don't it was, they that, have was, that anymore. To, to I don't today. know that they do. I but, think that um, kind of
0: went away a couple of years ago in the wake of Yeah,
1: then yeah. Uh, yeah, it was uh, I um I had all sorts of weird jobs for 10 years and then um started, you know, so, so then I had the second article for LA Weekly come out, how to get divorced by 30, and then in one week I got a book deal and a movie deal. Wow. So it took 10 years and then in one week my career It took 10 years
0: ha- to be an overnight success. Yes. Yeah. Um So the article. So how did that article get so much traction? Just got shared. It
1: ended up being on the front page of the LA Weekly, like the cover page, and so it was everywhere. And this is a time when the LA Weekly actually had articles, and everyone read it. It Was everywhere. Um, every office, every agency, every. This is two
0: thousand and. So
1: this was um like, oh god, uh, eleven years ago. This was even.
0: It was almost like right before everything was
1: Googleable. Yes.
0: Yeah, so everything yeah. was still in print. Um, it wasn't an online article.
1: It was online, but on it It was also online. And I remember thinking how crazy there were comments online. And I thought, oh, wow, it's online and there's comments. Yeah, it was – I'm trying to think. Yeah, it was 11 years ago. Yeah. So 2008. Okay. Um, yeah, that's right one. And, uh, and then it just – like everyone in L.A. read it. And it just blew up. And then within – like and then – Penguin reached out to me and said, you know, we're really interested in this article as sort of a book. Do you have, you know, do you have a memoir in you? And I was like, actually, I've been working on one for years. Um, And I had, I had all these chapters of stuff and I didn't quite know how to put it together. But I had been writing and writing and writing. So I was like, I do have a memoir in me. Here it is. And they were like, great, you know, memoir. Um, And then Universal.
0: They offered you you a deal. They offered me a deal. Which is apparently now not unheard of but it's so much more rare and the money is not nearly what it used to be.
1: The money for the book was not great. It was not it's the not the like advance, it's hard know. yeah the advance it's like it had it been a bestseller I could have made some money on the back end but um it was just it was it's so rewarding to like have a book published and um and,
0: and the book is called, the article's name, the how, to, book,
1: how to Get Divorced by did you, 30. Did you
0: get divorced? Were I did. I got okay. divorced.
1: I married the this bartender. Is story
0: you married the bartender. Got it.
1: And then divorced the bartender.
0: And you were married to him for how long?
1: Two and a half years.
0: Two and a half years. So is it a how-to guide? Like an actual? Is it tongue-in-cheek?
1: It's tongue-in-cheek, but it's tongue-in-cheek, but then it's my life and why I made certain decisions. So like, uh, like one chapter is marry an actor, is how to get divorced by 30. And then I talk about sort of that. And then also um, four of my friends, or five of my friends at the same time, all were also getting divorced by 30. And marry a comedian is a subset of marry an actor, (laughs) how to get divorced by 30. Um, So it's like, there's some advice, but it's really like, here's why I made the mistakes I made and shows this guy who's a perfectly nice guy. And it wasn't about bashing him. It was about my choices as somebody in their 20s trying to like, check things off her list.
0: Sure, that makes sense.
1: Um, so it was definitely a very comedic book.
0: And did the bartender X did he find it interesting? Was he when he found out about it was he like what are you he doing? He was not
1: pleased. <laughs> with was, the
0: result or with the idea of I'm doing it? I'm
1: not sure. I'm not oh, sure you don't know if we read it. I don't know if he ever read it. Yeah. We I sent him uh, an a, a copy Before it came out because I didn't want to blindside him. Um, And I don't know. I don't know what his feelings about it are. Um, Um, I don't know.
0: I have a a quick sidebar story. I was dating this great woman. I have nothing bad to say about it. She was writing an addiction memoir. And um, she didn't know how to end it. And it's – I couldn't even read the addiction memoir because this is a girl I was dating. But it's pretty pretty nasty. And she needed, but she needed, you need, you always need a, an ending of hope and renewal. And so when she pitched it to the company, um, I forget which company it was. I shouldn't say anyway. Uh, they, uh, she said, okay, the ending is like, she met me basically. And that everything in her life. And that was a while ago. And then eventually I bought it and she started working. And then like, we started having problems in the relationship and I knew that we, we had to break up. But she had to finish her book because I was the happy ending of the book, so I couldn't break up with her until while she's writing the book about the happy ending that is me because I would basically ruin her book. You know what I mean? Yeah. So I so basically she turned it in, did the rewrites, blah blah blah, handed in, blah blah blah, and I was like, okay, we gotta end this. So, um, that's very interesting because I I definitely have not read the book, but I do know that like it all ends is. Is it's very very sad. Ending. So so he probably did hear about it.
1: Oh, he definitely heard about it. I mean, he heard about it because I sent him. I I was. And
0: it was a popular book. It wasn't, it, was a be- a pretty, it wasn't a bestseller? It
1: wasn't a bestseller. I mean, it was popular. It was out and about in the world. He you know, he definitely heard about it. Uh, he he was not. To-
0: and you're not in touch with him anymore?
1: Not really, no. Not really. No.
0: Maybe friends on Facebook or not, something? Not,
1: yeah. The, yeah.
0: Okay. Yeah. So do you feel that this book has been a book Um, that has helped people. Is this something you yes I did when
1: this book came out I actually got a lot of messages from men actually um thanking me for laying it out and saying oh my god I'm not marrying my fiance or I'm not asking this woman to marry me because she's pressuring me because she's 27 and she's losing her mind and Jesus Christ no one should be getting married in their 20s like yeah. it's sort of the feeling of like we're all just dumb and we don't know what we want and a lot of people I I met one woman in a yoga class who just a couple of years ago and she was like oh my god I had your article tacked on my wall to remind me like I don't need to get married in my 20s it doesn't have to be a goal yeah. um, so I think the book did help a lot of people
0: that's amazing well just the idea that the phrase starter marriage came about as a normal thing yeah. is very bizarre and it comes about because people probably felt that they need to be married in their 20s yeah. or their head will explode so right that. right. Um, so did did this lead to Carrie Diaries?
1: So the book, uh, so then the feature film, yeah, so the then feature? So then Universal optioned it, and um, because I had written a lot while in this 10-year period of sort of not really making it a living as a writer, I had written a lot of spec features, which now everyone knows what a spec feature is, <laughs> um, written them but not quite sold them, like almost, meetings, this, that, but nothing really concrete, but I had them. So when Universal optioned the mo- the. the the article, they actually hired me to write the movie script, which is, which is not which is pretty rare. Um, it is pretty rare, and it was really exciting. But because I had these feature specs that they, they could read, they they said, "Oh, okay, you actually can write a movie." And work. and then the movie, which so many often happens movie scripts don't get made so the movie ended up not getting made but
0: they commissioned you but
1: they commissioned me i got paid i got it was like i was and then i was sort of in this studio system of being a writer that could be counted on and then i ended up selling even though i never movies were never really what i love i love tv so much um but i ended up having this series of movie sales um over the next several years where i would sell big comedies to studios get paid to write them it was fabulous and then they would wouldn't get made which a lot of people in la you um they make a really good living and you never actually see their work because
0: I, my my best friend is working i don't want to say the company again i feel like i'm being so redacted this episode but uh he's worked on they, they, they bring him in to do punch-ups on certain movies i don't know and it's sort of no credit yeah hey come in and watch the lego movie and do some punch-ups come and watch the band and and he'll go and do that, and all these different movies. He'll rewrite scenes, and he'll look at the movie, and go, "Wow, I'm—that's my stuff on the yeah. scene. Zero credit, and he'll get paid a, lot a of little money. bit. Yeah, exactly. So, um, but he's written, I think, commissioned three or four scripts. It, it's been in Variety and Deadline and everything. Yeah. done. but nothing's been made. And he's at that point now where he's like, "What the? Like, it feels like I haven't done anything yet."
1: Yeah, yeah, because, yeah, no, it is. It's frustrating. And um, so and I movies. So I had this sort of series of movie sales, which were amazing and exciting. But still, yeah, nothing was getting made. And then I kind of returned to my love of TV where I was like, I really I moved out here to be on a staff on a TV show. I want to work in TV. And I had a lot of meetings over the years and just didn't get staffed. I just wasn't quite, I, and I think it might've been a shift in the time. Like maybe I made, they had their one woman on staff and yeah. you know, with those days there was one woman in a room or maybe my voice was a little too edgy for network, but not quite edgy enough for cable, whatever it was. Um, and I ended up then selling TV pilots even before I ever got staffed. I had a a pilot at NBC um with my my best friend who's a writes children's TV and she's very g-rated and I'm very r rated and together we um it was called my best friend's a lesbo and it Great was about title. our friendship thank you um and she's super conservative lesbian and I'm a really wild straight girl and it's sort of mm-hmm. this fun pairing yeah and uh, it, it was the best experience developing that pilot and then it didn't go but there was this this like urgency and speed for with tv that isn't in features it could take years and i was like i'm so locked into tv now and so i've sold a few more pilots and then carry diaries
0: what did by the way the pilots get shot though no 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 okay. sorry
1: they didn't get shot it was just sales. they got scripts. bought and then they so, were yeah. Shelf, yeah. yeah so um right uh so pitch yeah i would sell the pitch write the pilot and the pilot would not get shot but get paid to write the pilot. So at
0: this point, pre-carry, nothing you've you've written, you've seen manifested yet. Really.
1: Nothing. Okay. Nothing other than articles in my book, yeah. but nothing like on screen. Yeah. Then amazingly, uh, I'm doing that mortified show that I talked about reading my diaries and this inc- amazing woman Amy Harris is in the audience, happens to be there. She's the showrunner of Carrie Diaries. She had written on all the seasons of Sex and the City and she knew that She was bringing the character of Samantha Jones in as a young Samantha Jones. And she needed someone to like speak to that character who was like super racy and kind of, you know, like like shameless and like
0: Slytherin type of person. House
1: of Slytherin type of person. And she heard my teenage diaries and realized I had already developed a pilot with the production company that did carry diaries. Everyone at Warner Brothers already vetted me. And she was the first person to put me in a writer's room.
0: Wow, that's amazing. And it was
1: ama- and it was the best experience. So
0: how does that unfold? You you do the show, you don't know her at this point. You've never heard of her, or do you know her because of
1: I, her I started talking to her after the show. We started talking. Like yeah, bar, she's exactly. You. She approached me at the bar, and then we realized we had all these friends in common. And I'm like, oh, my God. Oh, yeah. You run. Eight, Carrie Darius, that's awesome. Oh, yeah. I worked with Josh and Stephanie, and we sort of just started talking, and she said we should grab a drink. And I was like, that'd be great. In my mind, it was not a job interview at all. Sure. And so I said to her, so the next week, we're going to have a drink. And I'm like, can I bring my dog? Because I'm, I'm like, well, I'm you know, I bring my dog everywhere. And she's like, sure. So then we go to. Lab I have my dog and it's a boxer and so she's 55 pounds she's not like a small dog but LACMA ended up that bar was closed that day so then we had to go somewhere else but they didn't allow dogs so then I said to Amy can you drive me back home to drop my dog off so then she's driving me all around town for my dog <laughs> I drop my dog back off at home we end up at a bar and we're talking and then the next thing I know I get a job offer and I realized so that, that was my interview day,
0: you get a call the next day um, ag- my age my okay.
1: agents um, my agent called and said would you be interested in being staffed and we know that you've been developing 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 but would you want to be locked in and be staffed and I was like yes yeah. yes I want to be in a room I want to experience that
0: yeah and this was so Carrie Dyer's was
1: 2012 yeah
0: there. so um was the writing staff what was a breakdown was it men women mostly women
1: uh it there were two men in there and one two four women it's a very small room
0: anyone from the original sex and city
1: Amy Amy was Amy the only Stone? Amy Harris okay, Amy, who was yeah. running it was the uh, was a writer on the original Got Sex and it. City, but none of the she's the only writer on from Sex and City.
0: Yeah. Now when when you're on a staff for a show like this, and I've never been staffed before, obviously. So uh, I imagine there's there's a sole writer for per episode, and then people contribute, or how does that work?
1: So usually as a room you break the big storylines and you say over the course of uh, this season, you know, Carrie's going to lose her virginity and her friend is going to get robbed and this guy is going to come out of the closet and you you have these big storylines and then you discuss um, big plot points as a room and you debate and you tell stories about your life that can kind of, you know, filter through and what we want to see for each character and you start really wide and then you start narrowing and narrowing and then... When you get down to, um, and there's boards in the writer's room. There's like all these boards, either chalkboard or like a whiteboard, or everyone has a different system. And then um, you start to talk about a specific episode. So usually the first episode of every season, the showrunner writes. Then the second episode, it sort of is like an army where, depending on what your title is, the co-e-p will write the second one, and the supervising producer will write the third one, and you kind of go down the line. Um, And then as you get to an episode you're going to write... The room has sort of been involved with all the storylines and the the vague outline of that. And then you go off for a week on your own and you turn that into a script.
0: So well, what point did that happen with you?
1: So uh, I wrote um, on Carrie Diaries, I wrote episode because actually I came in at an awesome title because I had never been in a writer's room before. So really a staff writer would have been my... But because I had had years of selling features and developing and selling pilots, I came in as a consulting producer, which was an amazing title to have, never having been in a room. Oh, I didn't
0: know that you were at that and Carrie Diaries as well. That I – That you were a
1: consulting producer? Yeah, yeah. So I came in – yeah. And so I – but I wrote episode six and 12 of that year. So those were my episodes but had a big hand in Got it. the whole season arc. So and all when,
0: you, it. when you go away for the week, you write your, your episode six and then you come back – is there a lot of trepidation there? Is that a terrifying thing? Oh my god, it's terrifying. Here's my baby. Yeah,
1: <laughs> it's terrifying because you're writing characters that aren't yours, and yeah. you're trying to make the person that hired you proud, or you know, happy, or at least feeling comfortable with their decision. And you turn it in, and you hope that you did a good job. And then often the showrunner will do a pa- usually give you notes. You'll do another pass. Then the studio gives you notes. The network gives you notes, and then the showrunner might do a pass that they just want to like smooth out things so the voice of the show is really seamless yeah Um, but yeah it's really scary to turn it in
0: yeah and how how much difference was there in the script that you turned in the one that ended up being done
1: that episode was pretty actually there weren't many changes it was a really great place to start Um, and it was the episode that Carrie as a teenager first writes about sex in her journal yeah so it was very personal episode for me to write because I wrote so much in my journal and because I did God, I went back yes so that's I so once cool. again went back to uh something I had written about my high school sweetheart um and I put a line about him in the in the show and it's in the show it oh, made it beautiful. it made it to the final edit
0: yeah and Carrie Diaries was about, what, three years?
1: Two four? seasons. Two seasons. There's
0: only two seasons. I remember when it came out, I was in New York, and I felt like I had so much momentum and word of mouth.
1: Yeah. It, it had a huge fan base, and I think it was the timing of when younger people were shifting away from watching actual TV. Oh. And the numbers weren't being factored in of all the – Young girls that were watching on laptops or computers or whatever. And YouTube like, was kind of coming YouTube, up really yeah. then too. And yeah. um, because our ratings were not great for the actual like Nielsen ratings. And the but reviews it, this,
0: were amazing too. Yeah.
1: The yeah, reviews were really good. good. It was wow. It was a really like delightful show.
0: Yeah. So when that ends, and that probably was a shock to you. I, know, um, I mean, you always hear that whenever an actor. I you know,
1: I wasn't shocked just because I you knew, knew the I knew the numbers. Are you feel
0: like every week you're like, what's the what's the? Well, system? I
1: just you kind of like you're in the room and you get the numbers and you kind of know like you're on the bubble. I mean, yeah. we were on the bubble. TV so. by the numbers.
0: Oh, the bear's coming after us. Yeah, the cancellation bear. Yeah, I'm like, Are there's you, a no, bear.
1: I'm like, there's you know, a bear.
0: You know, TV by the numbers, right? Is that something that it's no. just, it's just it's all these nerds who they create a website where they just track every week or every day like what shows should be canceled or are going to be canceled. They call it the cancellation bear.
1: I don't – I really, somehow avoided this. Really, it's
0: a this. very schadenfreude. Right. Schadenfreude. Schadenfreude type of schadenfreude. Uh, website where people go, let me just see. Oh, is this yeah. show taken? This show taken? Um, and I didn't know if like people were actually in the writer's rooms were actually looking at this.
1: No, I've never website. looked at that awful website. You. But no. you do get the
0: numbers. Yeah. And so you do know what's going on. Yeah. Um, so after that, did you feel that you were now in a circle of people where – the work will beget work or was it a moment before
1: I, so uh, then um, Amy Harris and I had a great working relationship and a great bond. And I had a pitch um, for a show, a dark comedy. And she thought that the lead would Sarah Jessica Parker would be perfect for the lead and she knew her of course from Sex and the City and so after Carrie Diaries ended I ended up developing a show at HBO with Sarah Jessica Divorce? Parker no so that was the one thing that um Sarah Jessica Parker wanted to be back at HBO and she was looking for the right material and she, her she I was told there's one project that's been in the works for a while, but we don't think it's gonna happen. We're not sure. So I developed mine and then divorce happened. Oh. Okay. Um, but that was the next thing I did was I had a pilot I had a pilot script at HBO, which was very exciting with SJP, which was amazing. Yeah. Um and Amy Harris was gonna be the you know, sort of supervising me. Uh, and so that was the next big event. So
0: now HBO owns it, but it's sitting.
1: It's, it's, it's disc. actually, yeah, it's, uh, so Warner brothers, it's Warner brothers was a studio and I think they technically have it back Okay. and I could, you know,
0: so you could take it somewhere I, else if you wanted I, yeah, to.
1: Yeah, I think, I think so. But is I've that sort something of, that
0: you, is that something that writers do a lot or
1: is not that really, that, like, it's sort of more difficult than you'd think. And also, I, I mean, I think like if I had, The perfect actress or if I had the perfect director or something, I feel like I need a piece of it to, also I have new stuff that I'm passionate about and it's hard to, to repurpose things once they're kind of dead where you focused all of your, I mean, it can happen certainly, but I haven't had success with it exactly.
0: Yeah. I think that the writer friends of mine, it seems like they just keep like, Hey, I did this. No more. Next thing. Next yeah. thing. Next thing. Which to me, it just feels like you're Sisyphus pushing a rocket. Yeah. But I guess once you've developed the momentum of your career, it doesn't feel that way. I've had one pilot that I wrote, and I had like five meetings, and people were really excited, and nothing happened. I was like, oh, fuck it, that's not for me." It's which is whatever. Hard. This whole it's other too
1: hard. Thing. It's too hard.
0: <laughs> oh, I, I really, I'm, I really admire you. So, so then Glow, which is sort of where you're at now, where you're living now.
1: Uh yes. GLOW, I'm li- I've been um, living there for 3 years. Yeah. Right?
0: I mean it's a critical hit and a and a ratings hit. And how did that come about?
1: So the ladies at Glow, uh Genji Cohan, who's the executive producer and then Liz um and Carly who are the showrunners, they read my HBO pilot, oh, wow. the one that didn't get made and liked it very much and brought me in and I um had a meeting with them and i just i was a f- i watched glow as a child i did you really? yeah in the early 80s i fully w- i loved i loved glow and i actually was a huge wrestling fan um wow
0: well you're in florida I, yeah
1: well sense. miami but I, I they're just the pageantry of it all and the mm-hmm, just mm-hmm. i just loved it. and actually um p- applied for a job um in my early 20s, during the waitressing time, applied to write for the WWE oh, wow. and got the job. But I was going to have to move to Connecticut, which is where their headquarters are. And I thought if I leave and move to Connecticut, kind of like the Kilborn job, I'm going to get stuck there for years and yeah. I'm never going to make the thing in L.A. So I turned the job down because yeah. I thought I could write from L.A. and like turn stuff yeah, in. But but you? they want it. They want their writers there. So that. I, so anyway, Glow is sort of this amazing, like. Confluence of things that I love, like ragtag team of weird women wrestling. Genji, I I mean, her work is incredible. Um, Liz came off of uh, Nurse Jackie, which is one of my favorite shows of all time. I was so thrilled to... Work with these women. and yeah. uh, and then I got the job
0: were you were you brought in after the pilot had already been written? and It was been picked up?
1: Yes, yeah. so Netflix had uh, picked up the series. Um the interesting thing was when the original draft of the pilot, uh, there were some there was some debate about should real characters from Globe be used or not. Yeah, and then we question. decided, as a as a writer's room and as Netflix decided everything should be fictional like the Good. the title glow is you know real but it's completely fictional because then we can do whatever we want yeah so we kind of um, the writers when we were brought in we sort of rebuilt fictional characters yeah um, and that was a big chunk of work in the beginning of the room for the first couple months was like building out like 14 fictional wow
0: 14 f- yeah yeah did you characters. did you sort of conglomerate certain, People from Glow into one character type of thing, or did you just sort of completely disregard? We all
1: tried the to just disregard and yeah. clean slate. I'm um, certainly, you, you know, it's hard to to not remember the some of the greats, and also the tropes are there. Like yes, you're obviously, but yeah, we really tried to make each character it's her own.
0: Are any person. of the the women who were part of Glow connected to the project? Are they?
1: Coming um, in. one of the women who was in glow actually owns the rights. And so she sold the rights to Netflix. So okay. she, she is involved in that way. Um, yeah. but she's the only woman who's involved.
0: Yeah. And how is this different from writing on, for the Carrie diaries? Completely different type of writer's room. Is it a completely, do you have more power or something? Is it something, cause you're also supervising producer. Um, glow.
1: and third, so the season of glow that's coming out, I don't know when this is when is this coming we'll out?
0: We'll do it whenever we we'll uh, So, August
1: 7th. Okay, we can look at se- lo- No, it doesn't matter. <laughs> I'm just saying if it's past August 7th, this will be meaningless. No, okay. But August 7th is third season of Glow. And on the third season, I'm a co executive producer. So, um, which is very exciting. Yeah. Um, so. Does
0: that mean more to Chang Chang?
1: A little bit more. I'm a little more bit cha-ching, more. Cha-ching. Yeah, a little bit more. And, well, uh, yeah, a little more decision making and being yeah. on set and sort of getting in there. So, yeah. um, But what was your question? Oh, how is it different? Well, it's really different in the sense that for Netflix, you make all the shows and then they all come out at one time. And so there's no feedback from the audience at all. First season, we're all in the room, you know, writing the stuff, then casting it. We started writing before we cast. So we're writing sort of two invisible characters and then then finding the cast, which is really different than. A network show that already has a pilot shot, so yeah. you know who you're writing for, and then you're writing them all and just putting them out in the world at one time, whereas you, with The Carry Diaries, like, week to week, there would be this, like, feedback, yeah. wh- whether bad or good, but you're you're not, like, living in a, you know, in a bubble of not knowing anything, and so there's excitement. It's that's good and bad, but yeah. that's it. That's the biggest difference.
0: I've, I've, I've actually been talking to people about that a lot recently, because... Uh, in, in my most recent life, in terms of shows I've, I've watched and became obsessed over, the two were probably Breaking Bad and Game of Thrones. And part of the part of what built the obsession for the show was the weekly wait. And then yeah. the the uh, water cooler talk by The Office. Not like we were at a job. But um, hmm. it would create some sort of momentum yeah. going into the next week. And I've wondered with shows that started off super, super hot, like Orange is the New Black, and then kind of faded a little bit into you know, you you whatever anonymity, um, is it, is that a fear that, that, that creating the momentum for a show that glow that people buzz about to keep it going over several seasons because it becomes a binge thing. Then after people binge it in one week, Right. Then what are they talking about
1: right then they you don't know? see it for a year is that, is
0: that something that people could I mean I don't know what Netflix seems like it's such a big mystery to everyone because no one knows the numbers yeah
1: the algorithm the secret algorithm do you
0: know do you know the numbers that people are watching in the I show? I don't
1: know the numbers it's I great, really don't, don't have to think about yeah I don't know the numbers um, I, I think it's just a really different way to look at entertainment and whether it lasts or not I guess we'll see I think one thing Netflix is starting to do which there's been articles written about is sort of this three season um, template where maybe because of that maybe because there's not the the waiting and the building up of suspense week after week after three seasons maybe the audience is ready to move on I don't know I don't know what's going to happen do you
0: prefer it this way? Do you think this is the future of
1: I think television? this the fu- I think the future is uh, absolutely instant gratification. Yes. I think the the thought of having to wait a whole week to watch some, the next episode is so outrageous to so many younger people that have never had to do that 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 I think this is here to stay. But I remember lost for me lost was that I would go to work at the time I worked at MTV and we, I would talk to all the my pe- you know people at MTV about oh my god what's in the Thing and what's you know, the monster, and what like we it was so exciting to talk about lost, and then you watch the next week, and then you, yeah, um,
0: and that becomes a question of who can binge watch it faster,
1: yeah, right, who can stay up all night and not spoil it for everybody. But I think it's, I just even like I just signed up for um YouTube TV and got rid of cable and satellite what is youtube tv oh my god it's the greatest thing youtube tv if you're what? listening you should give bill some stuff um yeah, please sponsor so basically us. it's everything is in the <laughs> i'm like zoolander it's in the computer like you A computer you, for ants you, yeah um school for <laughs> ants it's live tvs in there Everything, every station is in there. Everything you've ever wanted is in there. You can have a queue. You can have a library. It's $50 a month for everything. And then if you want Showtime, it's extra. Um, th- like, But it's the best. And then the app isn't. I think it's the Apple app or so the Apple TV app or something to get it in the TV. I'm really like I'm Zoolander. so confused
0: because it sounds like it is it part of apple tv or is it separate from
1: are youtube and apple are they fucking now is everything i don't know i can't i think you can get to youtube tv through another device you just have to get it in (laughs) you know when you turn the tv on and you like click a thing like this is the this is
0: turn (laughs) on tv you click a thing
1: like netflix and like Hulu and then yeah. Apple TV. Oh, so there, and well, there's YouTube. There's YouTube TV. Is so a thing you can click. So there's YouTube
0: that's separate from YouTube TV. Yes. Got it.
1: Yes. YouTube TV you sign up for and you pay $50 a month and you and get everything.
0: Everything. You get live TV too. Live
1: TV. Yes.
0: That's really good because Hulu Hulu has the live TV thing too. And I started fucking with that. But then I was in New York and I tried to log in. They're like, you can't do two plays at the same oh. time. And I called Hulu and I told them go fuck themselves. Yeah.
1: That you should at least have two places. Yeah. Yeah, so, look into YouTube TV because it's made me very happy. <laughs> um
0: You've and, been talking about your amazing career, but the most excited you got <laughs> was talking about YouTube TV. Yeah, and then I did this movie and then no, they could no, no, no. But YouTube TV.
1: I okay, I'll try and be more excited about me. I am very excited about my career. I'm very excited.
0: Yes. So um that's everything's really amazing. And I wanted I want to ask you about uh casting Mark Marin. Was he was he uh always the decision for that was he a choice because he's he's he i've opened for mark he's an interesting guy he's obviously a legend in the comedy yeah. community um he is a curmudgeon to say the least um so uh how did that come about
1: so mark tells this story uh it, on one of his podcasts, so I I am saying this knowing that that this is a story that he is told. But um, <laughs> we I I sort of vaguely knew Mark when I was cocktailing at the improv. He wasn't an improv guy, but I mean all those guys were yeah, around, so I sort up. of you know knew him. And yeah, knew he was sort of a grumbly you know jerk. And um, so when we were casting the pilot, we we like find out that Mark Marin has submitted a tape, and we're like. Why? Why? We didn't ask like we didn't ask <laughs> him for Mark to submit a tape. This is ridiculous. And um and then we like we're like fuck it, let's watch the tape and like see, you know, if Mark Marin can act. And we watched it and we were just silent at yeah. how good he was yeah. and how he embodied this character so so clearly. And then we kept talking about Mark Maron, what, he's going to be the He's going to be an actor? Like, what is what is happening? Like, and every time we started writing more scripts, even before, the, and we brought, like, every guy in Hollywood in for this, but yeah. couldn't, we started writing to Mark Maron's voice in that casting Without even tape. knowing
0: that you were doing it, we, or you he, knew that you were doing just, it? Just,
1: we started being aware, each of us separately would be like, oh my god, I'm actually writing Sam, picturing Mark, and everyone, sort of, we all realized we were doing that, and it became completely unavoidable. It became yeah. so clear to us. And what I realized is how amazing of Mark to submit, like to not have too big of an ego to submit himself to something. Cause so many people are like actors in Hollywood, you know, will be like, I'm i offer only. Off only. I'm not going to audition this and that. And how awesome for him to take the leap to submit himself. Yeah. And he was undeniably perfect.
0: That's so and cool. And
1: a real joy to work with. And, um,
0: was he a fan of Glow as a kid uh, when he was younger?
1: I actually, I'm not sure so, if I mean, we've what, ever...
0: Did he submit through an agent or his, like... He,
1: his manager had read the pilot and was like, Mark, Mark you got to see this character. Yeah. Um. And then he just really understood that character. It, yeah. And um. the amazing thing about working with Mark is he is so respectful of the scripts and the words he is there to act he is not there to rewrite he is not there to try and do stand up and um we often will say Mark do you have like a an an option or a joke you want to throw in um because we want what he has to say but he is so respectful of that we're writing the show and that his job is to act this character and it's incredible um to just work with somebody that's not trying to, like, you know, push their own way in. And I I just love that about him.
0: That's amazing. Has he been nominated for an Emmy for
1: that? He first season was nominated, I think, for. Oh, God, I don't remember. He was nominated for SAG Award first season. Uh Uh, Second season, he was not nominated. Well, Emmy nominations for second season haven't even come out yet. They're coming out in like a month. Um, but yeah, he got a ton of attention first season. Yeah.
0: No, he's great in it.
1: Um, and I guess we, yeah, we'll see about Emmys. It's weird because the way the timing works is glow third season is coming out right after second season Emmy announcements will be made. So it seems like so long ago.
0: Yeah. But yeah. And do you have a, do you want to be a showrunner? Do you want to be? I do.
1: Yes. I do want to be a showrunner. That is my goal. And, um, I am developing now some things that will if they go to series I would be the showrunner and so. do you feel
0: that you have a knack communicating with actors and cause we're a crazy fucking bunch obviously
1: yeah I do I think that just uh, being calm and clear are the two most important things <laughs> on, on a set if you're calm and you're clear everything is gonna be is gonna work work itself out yeah. we, really it's the hysterics and the vagaries that drive people fucking insane. Yeah. And I, I really think that that's that's gonna be my key to communicating. That sounds calm, like, clear communication. It's the three calm, C's.
0: Clear communication. I completely agree. The smartest director i well, director at play is kind of like a showrunner, right? It was Tommy Cale, who I don't know if you know Tommy Cale. I don't. Thomas Cale, he directed Hamilton and now okay. I think he's I think he's a showrunner on Fosse on FX.
1: Oh, yeah. Okay.
0: He's the smartest human being I've ever met. And he would just, um, whenever I would get, you know, emotional or bitchy, as I may happen, because you're doing a play for eight months. Yeah. um, He just had a a real way of of calming you down and making you feel stupid for being upset, which I thought was really, like, he feels stupid. Like, hey, you made me feel stupid. Like, well, I guess I am kind of stupid right now.
1: Yeah. Yeah, um, it's a good it's a good way in. It's just like come on guys, you're acting. Like yeah, it's let's, you know.
0: Yeah, and it must it must be a fun because you're getting the instant gratification of kind of like being on the fly and stuff and also writing the show in the background. So it's kind of kind of yeah. combines everything that you've ever done in yeah. your
1: life, you know. Yeah. It and uh yeah, I, the character of Melrose on Glow is very much like my girl. Like mm. she's sort of the me yeah. of it all. And uh jackie i don't have you had jackie tone on your podcast I would love to. jackie you gotta come jackie. to the weird yard here the um weird yard. <laughs> she's a great stand-up but uh yes, she, she um she and i bonded in a way that was because because melrose was so me and i'd be like come on jackie just fucking be melrose don't be jackie and she'd be like you're right you're right <laughs> and she would immediately click in yeah yeah um and so that sort of – that's fun to like just get to the heart of the actor of it and get rid of all the other insecurities or whatever.
0: Yeah. Like, that's amazing. You know. um, now before we go because we should probably wrap this up because you said you were like, oh, I'm not 20 <sighs> anymore. I got to get be in bed by 930. Um, I did want to ask briefly about your experience as being a, a female a writer and a female in this business. Um, do you feel – has there been sort of a, a tectonic plate movement? in the industry that you felt in terms of how women are being treated or how they're being respected or is it something that's much more subtle? And just what, what do you feel about everything that's happened in the past few years in terms of women's movement and everything else?
1: Um, well, the
0: three th- words or less. Oh
1: yeah. It's no. a hard question. One, because I've always been a woman, so I have nothing to compare my experience to. Yeah. So it's not like I can, uh, um, also I've been really cocooned because I've worked mostly for women the past three years. Um, I do think there's a shift just in the sense that writer's rooms are trying to now be like half and half. The same with trying to have more minorities in writer's rooms. I think it's like there's this awareness that there doesn't have to be eight white guys and then one other person in a room. And that has definitely changed um, a lot of opportunities for women to, because the one slot doesn't have to be taken. So there can be more. Um, I did this really fun comedy called huge in france about oh gad elmalay um I had,
0: I had dinner with gad when i was in paris doing comedy yeah a month so that's so pretentious but it's true anyway uh he's amazing he
1: is so funny so that was on netflix for a minute and i don't know that
0: it's I, come back for a second season i don't know I, look i gotta say I, I met gad i don't know him that well he's he's great maddie del negro oh my a god mine from new york went
1: to bc What's that? Matt went to BC. He did? Yeah. Oh, that's right. He went to us. One House. of the best humans on the Yeah. On the no, the cast was amazing. But what was my point? Oh, the, so that show was run by men, uh, Jared and Andy. Uh, so that was, they're hysterical, completely, totally awesome teeny room and there was me and another woman in the room um and it was great because i know her and when we both got called in for the interview we were each in our head like oh one of us will get it because they can only have one woman yeah but they hired both of us because of course like but so that is a shift like that's great that they're, they're um so i guess in that way i think that that's an example of things are shifting
0: yeah well that's great so uh Plans for the future. We talked about you want to be a showrunner. So that's – you yes. have a lot of big stuff going on. Is there anything else? Do you have any bucket list things or anything like – I don't want to say 10-year plan. But if you go, this would be sort of the pie in the sky thing for me.
1: Um, I have just had so many different versions of dark comedies about my family in different – selling them in this way and selling them in that way and almost having this and that is my ultimate goal is to have a show sort of loosely based on my very interesting and fucked up family.
0: Is there a movie that exists in the pantheon that you look at and go, this is the best corollary to what I want? You know, there must be a movie that you look at and go, uh... They did. They d- they told their story so authentically. Yeah, about
1: their I'm sort of like it's so it would be like Schitt's Creek and Royal Tenenbaums Got combined, it. would be like such clear characters and messages. And I think those are two good <laughs> examples of what I would want to be going for. Yeah, family wise and comedy wise.
0: That's amazing. I'm sure it's going to happen. And we had so much. We were going to talk about lower back pain. We were oh, God. About, we are going to talk about your death threats because your last name is Rothschild oh, and yeah. all the conspiracy theories. Twitter,
1: stop trying to kill me because I'm not. First of all, I don't even have. I'm not even like a Rothschild with an S in my last name. And uh, stop with the anti-Semitism. Yeah, it's your just,
0: family did not intentionally set up the Holocaust.
1: It's it's just rude.
0: Yeah. It's that's, rude. That's funny. So anyway, and
1: hacky. It is hacky. Stop being point. so hacky. Stop being. <laughs>
0: The conspiracy theory thing, that could be a whole other podcast, but uh yeah. It's it's running amok these days, it's, I will say that. It's running amok. Maybe you will come back and we'll talk conspiracy yeah, theories. Yeah, I'll come back um, now
1: that I know his yard is safe. It is
0: You're amazing. I'm so happy to have met you. Thank happy you so much. You. Sasha Rothschild signing off from the Afterlife. Bye-bye.
1: It's the Afterlife, Afterlife. Welcome to the Afterlife, Afterlife, Afterlife. Afterlife, man. <laughs> Go ahead, pull up a chair. <laughs>